the North Star, in some sense, is creating those healthy interactions or creating value, creating human value in some form. Um, I wouldn't define the North Star as creating privacy or creating competition. Those usually are stepping stones to the broader goal of creating human value. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. In these conversations, we make sense of what's next. Join me, my co-hosts, and my guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hello, everyone. It's Tina, co-host of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast with Simone Cicero. Welcome back to the show. In this episode, we have two leading platform thinkers with us, namely Boston University and Dartmouth College professors Marshall Van Alstyne and Geoffrey Parker. Together with Sanjeet Choudhury, they wrote the influencing bestseller, Platform Revolutions, How Network Markets Are Transforming the Economy and How to Make Them Work for You, back in 2016. They're originators of the concept on the inverted firm, where rising network effects cause firms to shift production from inside to outside, and they were winners of the Thinkers 50 2019 Digital Thinking Award. They are also both visiting scholars at the MIT Initiative for the Digital Economy and co-chair the annual MIT Platform Summit, which this year takes place virtually on July 8th. We really owe a lot to their foundational work on the theory of platforms and two-sided networks that we always cite in our platform design masterclasses and bootcamps. In this conversation, we talk about what democratizing access to data means for the ability of players in a platform ecosystem context to innovate, and how regulation should be conceived participatory and ex-ante. Useful interventions should be designed so as to minimize potential harmful externalities that take place outside of otherwise internally self-regulated platforms. With creating human value as the North Star, Marshall and Jeffrey ponder on the fact that we might need to see the creation of a Magna Carta of citizens' rights for how we should be able to operate and influence on powerful platforms. Unfortunately, we had some technical glitches, making Joffrey's sound slightly lesser quality towards the end of the conversation, but not too bad as to stop us from capturing the wisdom from these two influencing academic voices. Enjoy the show. Hello, so hello everybody. Uh, today we are here with uh, two very special guests, uh, Geoff Parker and Marshall Van Alstein. I, I probably pronounced that in the in the wrong way, but uh, guys, I, are you happy to be with us today? Uh, yes, very much so. Good to join you, Simone and Stina. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. I love some of these topics and looking forward to exploring them with you. That's great, and uh, I'm also here with Sina, which is my uh, uh, who, who is my usual co-host on this podcast. Hi, everyone! Really nice to be here. Uh, so we're very excited to to talk with you guys because uh, first of all, you know, every, um, yeah, everybody working with platforms is a big fan of your of your book, uh, your your platform uh, platform book that has been you know pretty much setting the stage. Uh, of the conversation a, a couple of years ago, if I'm not wrong, or three, maybe. And uh, also, you know, we are very excited about your latest work on on, um, on policy and regulation. And uh, that's where we want to start, I think, today, um, uh, the conversation. Uh, it's really about understanding, you know, as, as a starting framing question, understanding how uh, tools, uh, traditional tools like uh, uh, regulations and policy making can still work in, in, in a world that is seeing this, such a structural changes in terms of uh, uh, the nature of the firm and the nature of markets. So maybe we can start with that. So it's a great topic. Um, one of the things that Jeff and I have been thinking about is the extent to which the economy today is structurally different um, than before. And it's parallel to the structural differences we see from a century ago. So a century ago, we're getting the rise of gigantic monopolies in uh, steel, automotive, in oil, uh, in banking. Most of those in, you know, in energy were all driven by supply-side economies of scale with high fixed costs and low marginal costs. Um, and today, so many of these uh, differences are driven by network effects or demand-side economies of scale. So in this case, users create value for one another, which attracts users, which creates value, which attracts users. So you're getting gigantic firms. Um, but again, it's on the supply, it's on the demand side rather than on the supply side. So we're getting very different economic models of production. And so the regulation also um, is going to have to be different. Yeah, let me just dovetail on that. And um, 
you know, Marshall's absolutely right. This this kind of worldwide change in industrial structure, I think, is is part of what really drew us to these topics. Interestingly, the old economics of supply side effects, of course, have not gone away. And many of the firms that are sort of the new giants benefit from both the demand side network effects as well as the supply side. And as Marshall said, you know, they're now kind of fully drawing the scrutiny of regulatory authorities who I think correctly question, um, are the current regulatory frameworks really sufficient to even analyze, let alone um, help sort of shape the actions of these firms, you know, toward the, you know, what you might think more of as, as toward social good. So let's introduce the idea of why this is so important. So, you know, in Jeff and my work, we've been developing this concept of the inverted firm. It's actually pretty simple once you see it. The idea is if firms are dependent on network effects, you can't scale them inside the firm as easily as outside the firm. There's simply more people outside the firm. What this means is value creating activities move from inside to outside. So you're no longer with vertical integration. You're kind of inverting the firm where users are creating value for one another outside the firm. So if you look, for example, at the market value of Facebook relative to uh, Walt Disney, it's, you know, it's a factor of 10 in terms of the market cap uh, relative to an employee. Or if you look at um, you know, New York Times versus Twitter, or if you look at Uber versus um, you know, something like uh, BMW. In each instance, it's really interesting. Users outside are creating the value. But what this means for regulation is that interventions or the, the standard market tests just don't necessarily matter. So if you look, for example, at um, you know, antitrust tests of predation, you know, are you doing below marginal cost pricing? Well, of course, in so many of these things, you're getting zero cross pricing. So that test fails. Uh, another question is, what's the boundary of the market? You've got Google and search and self-driving cars and uh, glasses and mapping. Um, or you've got Amazon in uh, books and cloud services and groceries and healthcare. What's the boundary of the marketplace? Um, so that's another uh, difficult test. Um, you know, or um, any of the standard mechanisms that you look at for testing whether the market is, is um, dominated um, that you have to define the boundaries and you also have to define the harms, but users are getting unbelievable deals in these things. You also get Amazon's not restricting your purchases. Um, Facebook's not restricting your posts. You're not getting the restrictions in output that you normally associate with supply side economy of scale antitrust market. So it's a very different framework. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And, and that's like one of the reasons why you're seeing, you know, a, explosion is perhaps too strong of a word, but just a, a tremendous growth of interest in kind of the governance and regulation of these giant technology firms that are harnessing network effects, because as Marshall said, these traditional tests don't seem to apply um, and don't seem to be useful. And in particular, if you look at some of the remedies, um, a lot of them are operating on an ex post level where they say, well, if you've done a thing, then we'll levy some kind of a fine. And you see that quite frequently in, in the EU. Um, but a lot of these fines, even though on the face of it, it seems like a couple billion euros is a large number, but to some of these giant firms with trillion dollar market caps, um, it's really just a speed bump. So it's more of an emphasis, I think, on, on analyzing ex ante you know, what would be permissible in terms of mergers and acquisitions and various behaviors uh, and try to set those frameworks up so that people know the rules of the game. I have a question on that that, that is uh, pretty much uh, about, you know, understanding if there is a radical difference in, in how we need to address certain type of platforms, certain type of uh, economic players, uh, versus other types. I mean, in terms of, for example, uh, everybody has been talking for ages about GAFAs, you know, uh, the, the big firms. Um, and it looks like that markets now at the moment are, are moving into a new age of marketplaces, which is the age of uh, uh, managed marketplaces, vertical marketplaces to some extent. And of course, there is a danger for, for these big players to enter these new markets uh, or, you know, the 80% the of the consumer spending that is not yet organized this way. But uh, uh, also some analysts are pointing out that uh, 
uh, it's not going to be easy for them to just jump into any other small market. You know, just because they, of course, they are agile firms, they are platform firms, but they're still big. You know, so they're still, you know, there's still some incumbent dynamic, let's say, on them. So, so the question that I have is, do you see um, really two different approaches to regulation uh, that are more uh, optimized for certain types of uh, 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 of markets or platforms versus uh, more vertical, maybe locally oriented and more, uh, you know, uh, contextual uh, marketplaces and platforms? So it's, a, it's an interesting question, uh, Simona. Actually, one of the things you can imagine a set of regulations that apply to supply side economy of scale firms, and you could possibly imagine a set of regulations that apply to demand side economy of scale firms. One of the challenges, of course, is that many of these firms may operate as both. Uh, to give you an example, Amazon clearly gets some supply side economies of scale in the production of cloud services, or Google and Microsoft get uh, supply side economies of scale in the production of operating systems. They're huge fixed costs, very low marginal costs. So my suspicion, and you know, feel free to, to argue the point, but my suspicion is that we may need some overarching frameworks that allow you to tune the knobs based on how much a firm is predominantly a supply side or a demand side economy of scale style firm. So the interventions might be somewhat different based on uh, you know, which of these forces, though prevalent, uh, is more heavily emphasized in a specific market. So my, my suspicion is you will need tools for both, but we'll need to handle cases when the firms actually use both different mechan both mechanisms. Yeah, let me kind of um, dovetail on that and and go to the question I think you asked about whether these giant sort of uh, generalist technology firms, um, the GAFAs, are of course representative, but there are others. I mean, China has had a, a similar explosion of these firms in Tencent and Alibaba. Um, and then you you said this notion that now we're seeing markets pop up in more B2B contexts and areas where you would expect vertical specialization to really matter. And I think that's exactly right. And where the, the entry point would be for the, the technology giants, I think it's going to be in harnessing the data that's generated by the processes, both on the customer side, but also on the, the industrial and production side. And a lot of the entry points could easily come from incumbents partnering with technology giants, especially for access to machine learning and, and artificial intelligence capabilities. And so then the danger is that in that partnering, you actually start to teach these generalist firms you know, more about the, the deep vertical. And I think it's going to be around the data layer that an awful lot of the regulatory scrutiny should come so that we can think about whether data access is being used um, to uh, sort of uh, prevent competition or and how access can be used to promote competition. And so you'll, you'll see some of that, I think, in, in a lot of scholars' work, and certainly we're focusing on that as well. So, Simone, think of what Jeff just said. There's some really interesting examples in there. So if we go back to the vertical integration story, that's in some ways there's a story as old as Adam Smith with a specialization around manufacture of pins. So you'd actually increase the production of pins with someone specializing in pulling the pins, someone in polishing the head, someone in hammering it. The specialization might be an example where you get some of the traditional kind of vertical uh, integration. But at the same time, then you have to ask this other question, to what extent are there data spillovers? So is it possible to learn uh, from what you're doing in groceries uh, about what you might be interested in purchasing in e-commerce space? That's the demand side economy of scale data spillover. That's the other side of the equation. So we've got these two forces, one where you get some benefit of the specialization, but you've also got some benefit of the um, learning from one interaction to another uh, that the firm can harness. So one would, the first force fragments the market, but the second force integrates the market as you learn, as you learn from one process to another. So again, you've got these really interesting balancing properties uh, across the forms of organization. 
so, so, so that's very interesting. I think we are getting very fast to the juice of this conversation, which is uh, is great, you know, because we still have lots of time to explore. Um, so, so sometimes we say we used to say to refer to Simon Wardley's work, uh, you would be maybe familiar with, uh, and where he he explains this dynamic uh, that he calls. Uh, the ILC, you know, innovate, leverage, componentize cycle. And especially when he speaks about platforms, he makes it clear that uh, ecosystems, as he defines them, are future sensing engines. So essentially, according to his uh, approach, uh, platforms have this capability to capture data, as Jeff, I think, uh, was talking about, and, and you, Marshall, were rhyming. Uh, that, that they have this possibility to capture data and understand uh, where innovation is going. So to some extent, to our understanding, platforms are tools uh, and are designed to institutionalize innovation more than actually bring innovation. So innovation comes from the ecosystem. The ecosystem produces the data by consuming all these elements and modules and products that the platforms have been creating. And then it's the responsibility of the platform is to institutionalize these innovations and push the ecosystem to innovate further to upper levels of the value chain. So if one thinks through this, so for example, an example could be uh, I don't know, uh, Amazon doing Amazon Basics by capturing uh, people, you know, uh, needs and then institutionalizing the products into more componentized elements, Amazon Basics, uh, and then pushing the ecosystem to innovate in new products. Uh, uh, but, you know, of course, you can do parallels also for digital services. So my que- getting to the question, my question is, uh, who is, uh, uh, to some extent, concerned about the future happening faster? Uh, so when we think about regulating data, for example, uh, uh, what does it mean in terms of uh, stifling or generating more innovation if we impose a regulation that makes data and information available? Uh, and you know, that, does it really make sense or, or, or it's really decisive to make data more transparent when probably the capability to harness data is still probably uh, much more uh, residing inside the platform than in, in, in you know in the society just through access to 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 data and uh, so so I don't know if the question is clear but more or less uh, I guess so <laughs> let me let me take the first crack and then uh, I'm sure Marshall will will add on I think that the the tools to work with larger and larger data sets are largely getting democratized and by that I mean they're um, able to be used by individuals and organizations. And what's interesting is often those tools are provided by the very kind of technology giants that people are concerned about. So think Microsoft, Azure, Amazon Web Services, or the, or the Chinese analogs. Um, the, the question then that you ask is, when you enter partnerships, then you end up in data sharing, because in that first, if you just use this infrastructure as a service or the compute capabilities, you actually still have full control and you can end up with fragmented data. Um, But the issue is a lot of data is more valuable when when it's uh, aggregated. And because people don't really know the value of the data, there's this sort of desire to hoard and we don't have really great ways of of doing valuation of the data and so and furthermore we don't have really great ways of asserting ownership rights and what that ends up doing is creating forces toward fragmentation even when um, there would be benefits to to the, the the aggregation and then um that ends up sort of creating less less welfare or less value than you could. And that's, I think, Simone, where you were getting at, where the, the platforms themselves t- tend to be able to do the data aggregation, um, and especially on the B2C side, where I think people are, are, are less sensitive and perhaps less knowledgeable about the value of the information that they're providing. I think on the industrial side, firms are much more sensitive. And so you've seen a slower kind of uh, use and capture of information and, and information sharing than otherwise might have happened. And so a lot of the 
innovation kind of on the economic side really has to come from how do you do data valuation? How do you do data protection? How do you watermark it? How do you create markets in it? And then once that happens, you can start to see more of the benefits of the aggregation. And then, of course, the parallel has to, to have some regulatory innovation that helps to make that possible. So Jed had a number of great ideas on that. And I think we can answer three or four questions that Simone's answered and circle back to this idea of data markets. So, um, so one of the things here is you have to think about the effects on different parties in the ecosystem. So one of the things you highlight in terms of this kind of institutionalized innovation on platforms it does have the effect of putting the ecosystem partners on an innovation treadmill. I mean, so you'll be selling a product that you might uh, have sold in the marketplace, but then they invite competitors in order to continue with your margins. You're put in a position where you have to innovate uh, in order to keep sustaining your margins, and the platform then keeps inviting competition. So it's really hard on some of the competitors, and it can squeeze them, and it can also create some unfair advantage if the platform's bias sales toward anything they find is high margins, and they seek to sell themselves. So we need to do uh, introduce fair and just regulation to prevent self-dealing or self-biasing and some of those things. A second question is then, what about access to that data? Do, do we encourage permissionless innovation or do we encourage permissioned innovation? And part of that depends on what we're talking about. In these marketplaces where there's low risk, there's low danger of um, you know, creating something um, harmful, you want as much innovation as possible. So you want innovation in apps, you want innovation in uh, software services uh, or basic product design. Um, in other cases, experimentation can be troublesome or problematic. So you imagine you wouldn't necessarily want experimentation on top of opened nuclear power plants or opened the APIs to uh, pacemakers because you could you could hurt people, you could kill people, or there could be terrorists actively trying to um, break in and, and do harm to some of those things. Then you know, coming back to the idea of markets, if you want to create healthy innovation using the data to package, to learn, and to create new kinds of goods, you need multiple parties to have access to that data. And at the moment, uh, Jeff's right, the platforms tend to want to lock up that data, to keep it as a trade secret and not open that data to third parties as much. I think social good would be served a lot if, in addition to the democratized tools, there's in some sense democratized access uh, to the data. Uh, you give a simple current example, uh, contact tracing for COVID-19. I mean, there's enormous benefit if um, the tracing can happen across platforms as opposed to just within platform. And we've, we've even seen a tiny bit of collaboration start to take place between uh, Apple and Google in that case. That kind of thing could happen all the time. If there are information spillover benefits to society, uh, there ought to be ways of granting broader access to the knowledge in exactly the same way we grant access to patents after an extended period of time. Um, you know, in a patent ecosystem, you reward folks for the innovations they create with, you know, a short-term exclusionary period, and then after one, you want others to have access to that data as well. So I think it would be great for uh, antitrust uh, to solve some of the antitrust problems and to foster broader innovation, and indeed to create checks on the behavior of the platform firms if we were to grant access more broadly to some of that data as distinct from some of these uh, regulatory regimes that try to compartmentalize it, fragment it, and keep it so private, it's hard to create some of the innovations. The real question is, how do you create the wealth, and then how do you divide it fairly? That's where I think we need to go uh, in the design of these ecosystems. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really interesting, and I go, I'm going to hand over this to Stina in, in a second, because I know she has a deep question that I want to introduce. Um, uh, you know, you're talking about democratization, you're talking about fairness. Uh, so it looks like there is a fair, uh, fairly political dimension of regulation uh, at the moment. No, when, when I think, for example, when I was thinking about uh, uh, these dynamics of innovation, like uh, uh, like it was de facto a positive thing to innovate, uh, which may not be the case, especially when we speak about uh, uh, go, uh, consumer innovations, which are happening fairly uh, asymmetric uh, context in terms of power structures let's say. Uh, so I will hand over this to Stina, but you know, I think uh, this is the point. You know, this is getting political to some extent. 
Yeah, and I and I think um, what I was interested in when when listening to this is, of course, I mean, we talk about uh, regulation as uh, something that will need to come from some sort of central government or international governance bodies, or and you have this enormous power that is uh, accruing to some of these platforms. So I guess my question is: To what extent can we expect corporate leaders to become? Some sort of important figure in in politic in this political regulation space. To what extent do they need to be partners of government? And uh, and the third aspect that I'm interested in is to what extent can we expect people users to have democratized access to their data and actually uh, sort of know what to do with it with it and how to to manage it. Um, with um, uh, with this kind of um, wider uh, knowledge about the impact of your interactions online uh, and so on, so that you could that could be a regulation coming from uh, responsibilized uh, users in a sense. So I'd be really cu- uh, curious to hear what your thoughts are on that. So, so great questions, Stina. Um... I'm going to take the last one because I think it's really interesting and then it will help inform the first few. And I'm sure Marshall will, will, will have plenty to add on that. But um, the question you asked about how, how users can manage their data and then participate, I think, in the, in the governance and regulation of these technical systems is, is a fascinating one. And the answer, I think, has to go back to the ownership rights in their data. And I think it's improbable that individuals will be able to both um, kind of understand the, the the technical issues, but more importantly, uh, I think the individual value of their data isn't large enough for them to incur the effort uh, to do bilateral negotiations with each and every system. But what that allows for is the entry of an intermediary. Um, entities that can come in and bargain on behalf of individuals um, for a share of the division. And if you can see that arise, that would allow for a different division of of the value creation. And then perhaps more of that could end up being captured by the individuals. Because I think that the, the, as Simone said, this is getting political to some extent. I think that's, that's true because in addition to the value that gets shared with individuals through um, free goods and services, you've also seen a tremendous aggregation of, uh, of wealth, um, which you can see in kind of the market caps. And that, you know, has some interesting questions um, in terms of concentration that can be destabilizing. So if we can go back and allow for different negotiation over value capture, I think that's at least one potential path forward. So wonderful questions, uh, Stina. So let's let's tackle this at several different layers. Um, one, let's just return to the idea that we made, uh, we brought up initially, that we're seeing the rise of gigantic monopolies today, like we saw a century ago in other industries. And it is interesting that it took time for regulation to catch up then just as it's taking time for regulation to catch up now. So we are seeing exploitation of labor. We are seeing um, you know, immense concentration of wealth. Uh, these are things that we're going to have to deal with some new regulation. Um, but let's also figure out where we can intervene usefully and show where we can actually be helpful. So uh, let's start with our definition of a platform, which we define as an open architecture with rules of governance to facilitate interaction. So open architecture is what lets third parties in to help create value. The governance model uh, is what encourages people to join and to create value. And then the interactions would actually create the value, whether you're matching someone to a ride, a tweet, a post, you know, a stay, what have you. It's those interactions that matter. Now, who should be doing the regulation? If um, a market failure or something bad happens on the platform, platforms typically t- 
tend to create it. So uh, as bad as it is, Facebook has actually even protected users against spam from some of the developers. Or if uh, an Uber driver takes a passenger the wrong direction, then Uber will try to make them good or um, Airbnb will try to protect the, the homeowners. So if the data is about something bad that happens on the platform, then it tends to be, you know, self-correcting because the platform has an interest in a healthy interaction and it's got the data. Now contrast that with when the problem occurs off-platform. Contrast that with monopoly of the power of the platform and the exploitation of labor or contrast that with the fake news that affects elections that occur off-platform. That is a real problem. That's when government intervention is absolutely warranted and we need to start looking at ways to correct the behaviors of platform when they're causing these damaging spillovers off platform. Uh, and there, we absolutely need newer regulations to uh, create some of the kinds of organizations that uh, Jeff was just talking about, to restore some of the bargaining power of collectives uh, and make that happen, or to introduce fairness where the division of what value created uh, happens more generally, or to get platforms to internalize the negative damage of things like the fake news uh, that is occurring off platform. That's when external regulation is absolutely warranted and we need to move in the direction of a healthier ecosystems with better rewards uh, divided across society. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really interesting, you know, because uh, I think um, what you're talking about is to some extent, uh, pointing towards a process of regulation that is itself a platform. You know, let me let me explain this in a, in a minute. So the question is, uh, you know, the user need to the users uh, need to have a role in this process. So it looks like the, the process is less about you know a third party like a government uh, regulating uh, platforms, but it's much more about um, some kind of participatory uh, process of regulating. That is not just about data ownership, you know, because you know, just with ownership you don't do much. You know, uh, previously when when I when we interviewed uh, uh, Indy Johar on the podcast, uh, he was talking about ownership, not about data, but more in general. And he said that uh, more too, too often in the world that we live, ownership is a thesis of slavery. Because at the end of the day, if the context, uh, you know, for example, he was talking about owning a piece of land and, and if the context, you know, to, to some extent, uh, cons you know, is constructed to, to, to oblige you to exploit that piece of land, then you're going, you're not going to do any stewardship on that piece of land. So similarly, I think, let you know, jump, if we jump in for one second, yeah, go ahead. love what you're saying. I mean, to put it in one way, I think at the moment, you and I are serfs in the kingdom of Page, Bezos, and Zuckerberg. So far, they're getting to make the rules, and so far, you and I have not had a vote in the design of those ecosystems. If anything, one of the things we would like to do moving forward is in some sense to design a Magna Carta of citizens' rights for how we should be able to operate and influence the platforms. So sorry to interject too much, but that's just such an interesting topic. You know, uh, This is absolutely something that needs to be done. Yeah, of course, and, and let me build on this and then end it over to you. Um, I love this idea of the Magna Carta because it's really about the, it's not about the obligations, but it's about the possibilities to some extent. It's still about the rights, but it's also about your right to build, you know, your right to create to some extent. And the question is really about how do we move from what we call data ownership thesis into what we could call a data poiesis thesis. So there is another friend of us, Salvatore Iaconis, is working on this idea of data poietic processes. So the question that I, I think I want to bring to the table is now with all the data that we have uh, uh, access to, we can uh, uh, bring the society into a poietic process, so a process of making meaning of data. So the question is, uh, how do we collectively can build uh, this regulatory process that uh, it's based on data, but it's also based on what we do with data. So what, not just with what decision we take, but also how do we enterprise with data, for example. So for example, if you take, think about, talk about uh, this idea that platforms don't need to be built in a separate uh, you know, context and then brought to the market uh, without having any voice uh, available for people. But also I think it's not just about the, the voice of the people, but it's also about how the people create value through those platforms. So it's really about 
more possibilities, not just what rights these regulations protects, but also what kind of possibilities and responsibilities is asking to the participants, to the citizens, in terms of sense-making and in terms of taking actions and enterprising in creating something new through those, those platforms. What do you think about that? Okay, there's, that is an incredibly rich and wonderful question. Um, and in some ways, I, I couldn't agree that more than that's actually one of the questions we really need to be asking. So let me throw out several different kinds of ideas here. One of the problems I'm going to, to propose is that it, to, we have traditionally used too much of a property model, and that's born out of ownership of physical goods as distinct from perhaps an entitlement in the, the value of the assets that are created from information goods. You can give me an idea, I can use it, but you still have it. And then perhaps the best thing that would happen is if I were to give you a share of the innovation value that I created from your idea. One way to think about this in legal terms is actually the difference between a liability regime versus a property regime. In a property regime, you have to own, you have to negotiate with the owner of the property in each instance uh, where you want to actually gain access to that. That creates an enormous amount of economic friction because in many cases, the, the data is really small or the negotiation costs are so large relative to the incremental value of a single search or the value of a single purchase. So you could actually shut down the negotiation or the recombination or the analysis uh, of that data under a property regime. Under a liability regime, if user identities were protected and if you had fair process to allocate rewards, imagine a case where you might be free to use data, but you are responsible for um, using it in a fair and just way. And a, a fraction of the value has to go back to uh, the sources of that value. Under a liability regime, you might be free to do that without some of the negotiation costs, and you'd be responsible for the gains and the losses. Uh, there's even an economic formula, the Shapley value, which might be possibly used to determine the fair reward uh, under such a system. And it might be a possible way to allow multiple parties to create value on top of data, as opposed to simply having to negotiate for each uh, and every access. Um, so I think that's one of the ways it might be uh, might help solve this problem, which I fundamentally agree is how do you create value? What regime, what governance model is going to help you create the most value? And then you figure out who should be the beneficiaries of that value as part of uh, the governance and the allocation model. Both of those two things are essential, the creation and the allocation. I'm going to dovetail on what Marshall said, which I think is this, this wonderful um, sort of notion of trying to reduce the transaction costs of bargaining under in this property model. Uh, but at some level, you do have a right to the value that's created. And, and we've actually done a fair bit of modeling around this. And there's been a stream of research in terms of downstream innovation. And the idea is that if people build on your innovation and then uh, build something that's also valuable, then part of the value that's created should go back up the chain to the original owner of the idea or, or in this case, of the data itself. And that's kind of at the heart of the Shapley value calculation. But I think it also helps explain uh, something that Simone, you said earlier about why it is that platforms are so good at um, kind of organizing and directing innovation. And partly it's because they can capture it from the ecosystem and then start to make it more widely available for others to build on top of. And that's, I think, an important part of kind of the regulatory structure is to identify where that happens and then encourage it but also make sure that we set up structures um, where there's a fair division. Because as we've shown in the economic modeling, to the extent that there is a reward to the original innovator or to the, the data owner, then they'll be more willing to share, and then everyone ends up uh, benefiting from that. Um, so let me give you two resources that, to support the things that Jeff had just said. So one, uh, for those that are interested, it's a bit technical, 
but we developed a really nice formal model of recursive innovation that people get to build on each other's ideas uh, in a paper, Innovation, Openness, and Platform Control. And it shows how good governance can actually increase the rates of innovation and actually increase the, uh, the openness of the system if it's done in such a way that parties can build upon uh, each other's ideas. Uh, another possibility is also one on the social efficiency of fairness. If you treat people fairly, you can get higher rates of innovation because they're more willing to share ideas in the first place. So we need regulatory frameworks that are going to ensure that level of frame, uh, fairness, um, and then folks are, are happier to contribute. So th these are a couple of economic models we built uh, to actually try to demonstrate some of these ideas. That, that's really, really, really good. I think we are getting there, uh, really to some clear idea of uh, what is the question uh, that we have on the table. And uh, and I, I think, uh, you know, from what I get from your comments, uh, there is this, uh, this direction where we should go that uh, uh, maybe, you know, what we want to achieve in terms of platforms, uh, uh, openness, and, and uh, let's say fairness, uh, it's really about... Uh, 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 platform being platforms being open for uh, a fair distribution of the value that is created, and the value that is created, uh, uh, it's going to be uh, probably more and more, uh, you know, uh, about uh, platforms that share, for example, direction and possibility to create. I'm talking about, for example, the experience that we are having with the higher group. Not talking about this organizational model that they have that is called Hey. Higher Group is a company of more or less 80,000 people, and they have this uh, organizational model based on this idea of micro-enterprises. Um, so uh, the new things that get developed in the organization uh, always embed a certain amount of entrepreneurial uh, risk and entrepreneurial uh, investment uh, from their employees. Um, so I'm, talking, I'm thinking about you know, entrepreneurship as a clear way to define new value that gets created and as a clear way to, to some extent, uh, integrate, accrue, and distribute the value. You know? Because if you create a new company on top of another one and the other one invests in the, the company that gets created, this is a fairly clear way to uh, distribute the value you know, uh, in terms of entrepreneurial creation. So also to connect with the question that I know, Stina, you want to ask, um, you know, the question is, who defines the value? That gets created uh, because, to some extent, we can we can expect a regulation to define the value, but I'm not sure this is going to be the right uh, way. So, so Sina, do you do you want to add uh, your reflection on this? Well, it, it was more. Um, it made me think about when you were talking about this uh, early st uh, stake in innovation. Uh, something that I read, and I will have to find reference, but from Mariana Masucato uh, about how the government is usually quite bad at claiming those stakes and that this is uh, leads to some regulatory choices that can be not necessarily to tax uh, to capture a value from uh, created from businesses but rather to to have a clear stake in early innovation like uh, i think uh, she was mentioning that google for instance was initially uh, sponsored by the government vaccines is another area where it's like usually governments who come in with initial investment but are very poor in sort of capturing uh, the returns of that uh, so that was just uh, um, like a reflection that I that I had while you were talking and coming back to that idea of like the kind of relationship between governments and platforms and if there could be like a partnership uh, model that could be envisioned uh, in that space. Yeah, and maybe helpful to define really uh, what is the value, you know, that uh, that gets created. Yeah. So that's an interesting issue. So I think Jeff and I both are huge fans of you know uh, government-sponsored deep research with long-term payoffs. You know whether it's fundamental research on genes or search or mathematics, some of those things. I think those are investments that society can really gain from, and governments are really good, uh, better than corporations at uh, investing for long-term knowledge creation. We do have an interesting question about you know, so you raise the issue who gets to define the value once it's over in in some sense markets are probably better at determining that value because there's always an information asymmetry problem the individual or private preferences uh, this goes back to the pioneering work of uh, von hayek in economics are often not known to a central authority 
So it's the trading of ideas or it's the trading of assets. It helps to define the, the external value in a more accurate way. Um, and in the context of where there are possible externalities, as there are in information and data, um, that brings us to another set of ideas where, again, if you can get the parties on the, the other sides, on e either side of transaction, negotiate in a healthy manner where one where each has equivalent bargaining power, so one can't dominate the other, then often you can arrive at an efficient solution. So often markets are pretty good at that. And so the, the role of government is there often to provide equivalent bargaining power to the parties so that they can uh, arrive at an efficient solution as distinct from externally having the government define that value unaware of what people individually value. So we need to create governance mechanisms that help establish um, the uh, the proper valuation through mechanisms that get everyone's information involved in the decision, and that's that's an interesting governance prob problem in and of itself. Let me kind of build on that because lots of interesting topics here. Um, it, to use a, a a property and a uh, kind of an intellectual property rights environment, you know, we have this notion of sequential innovation, and that's where we have things like copyright and patent come from, the notion that you should have incentives um, to innovate, to build, to create new things, uh, but that at some point, those new things would be better off distributed sort of to the world at large for others to build on top of. And I think that we've kind of lost track of the right um, sort of durations and the right way to think about that in a lot of industries. And part of that is just Literally, once you know X post the value of a particular thing, then you're much more likely to want to hoard it for yourself forever, even if overall sort of social welfare would go down. And so being able to enforce those durations ex ante is where we end up with lots of innovations on the patent side. The problem is that a lot of the value has shifted toward data, toward um, information, and the, the rights regime has tended to be around copyright instead of patent. And those go for a very long time, on the order of 100 years, which is far beyond um, what would be necessary to provide the innovation incentives for people to create new things. And uh, sort of a rebalancing and a, and a look at those I think it's in order. And interestingly, you know, some of our work has shown that in some ways, platforms themselves have stepped into a regulatory vacuum and been able to more shorter IP rights that then allow for innovations to spread throughout the ecosystem in ways that would never have happened if those um, innovations were governed by at least US uh, kind of copyright law. So lots of area, I think, for innovation on the regulatory front, but, you know, the, the context matters incredibly, and whether or not they're really going to be able to get the context right, I think is a, a completely open question. Mm -hmm. Lo looks like, you know, we are kind of uh, um, going uh, towards uh, some kind of an endogenous process of uh, self-regulation. Uh, because to some extent we are acknowledging um, the failure of centralized regulations. So, so, so because you know centralized regulations tends to uh, get stuck in theses which are uh, pretty much conservative theses, like you know, for example, the data ownership theses or uh, the, the things you mentioned. Also, so stifling innovations or stifling change just in in the interest of uh, you know, replicating patterns that uh, probably don't uh, fit with the, the current uh, the current context of of, of organizing, uh, and, and so the, 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 um, a good uh, a good you know a good um, thing to discuss maybe in, in this last part of the conversation will really be how do you get to uh, or, you know platforms but more generally large scale organizing systems. Uh, that to some extent are able to self-regulate 
based on some kind of shared uh, visions. So maybe we can infuse, uh, 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 you know, in this kind of uh, organizational systems, uh, the things you mentioned. So, for example, the need to uh, be able be open to public-private partnerships, or, or you know, the, the need to the, the obligations to be able to uh, give users access to uh, returns or communities access to to the to the profits that they generate or something like that. But the question is, how do you design a system that, to some extent, is able to self? Uh, uh, regulate uh, and for for what what for so I mean in that case in, in the case the system self regulates uh, what is the north star let's say the direction according to which the, the self regulation should be put in place you know in, in a world that goes towards complexity uh, maybe uh, it's a good idea to look at a regulation a regulatory system that is much less bottom uh, top bot, top down sorry a much more embedded in the in the organization and bottom up simona i love your phrase endogenous self-regulation how do, how do you deal with that um let's introduce an idea that, that jeff and i discuss in uh the book which is, this is the chapter on governance where we introduce an idea called design for self-design which might be a stepping stone in the direction of your endogenous self-governance Here's what happens, right? One of the things that we like to do is to describe it again as, as a platform, open architecture with rules of governance for um, creating healthy interactions. The North Star, in some sense, is creating those healthy interactions or creating value, creating human value in some form. Um, I wouldn't define the North Star as creating privacy or creating competition. Those usually are stepping stones to the broader goal of creating human value. So in some sense, we'd really like to, I would argue, and others feel free to disagree, that creating human value is the North Star uh, in that sense. The interesting that then happens in, in any evolutionary system is that if you start to create value, you'll just as in biology, you'll create parasites that try to steal or siphon that value. And it could be uh, bad partners to the ecosystem, or worse, the really hard ones are when the governance model starts to appropriate too much value for itself by virtue of its monopoly power as the authority itself. And that's where you need um, uh, properties of changing the rules of the governance in conjunction with the other interested party, parties, those who are themselves governed, uh, or those who are the partners, uh, those who are creating the value. And so you need mechanisms for them to have a voice in the design of the mechanisms to curtail the parasites that are siphoning the value that's created. So the process of the design for self-design would be a process by which you would identify when value is getting siphoned off, who is causing that, who should be involved in the decision to fix it and redesigning the rules. And then the process starts over again. You start creating value again and then so, and then always there's some kind of an arms race and there's a new way that someone else tries to siphon value. And so you have to constantly evolve the ecosystem through this process of design for self-design. I love that uh, this idea that uh, the North Star is the uh, creation of human value. And uh, this, I think, nicely connects with uh, um, the things that we briefly mentioned in the preparation conversation and that our listeners would be um, used to. So this idea that one of the pillars that is emerging to some extent in, in these evolutionary systems of larger scale organizing is that we need to come up with a new human development thesis. Because otherwise, if we just uh, trust, uh, you know, the, the technological innovations, uh, to some extent, the, the machine development thesis overcomes the human development thesis, and we cannot uh, exercise anymore this um, the governance. Uh, you know, uh, in a previous conversation we had, uh, we made the example of uh, um, fast uh, uh, um, you know, algorithms that trade uh, shares on, on the market, like, uh, I don't remember the technical name, but this idea that there are these algorithms that sell uh, stock and, and buy stock in like a milliseconds and nanoseconds. Uh, so the question is, how do you exercise your governance, which is to some extent a way to exercise regulation? Uh, on such an algorithm, such a platforms. And, and so the question is, maybe a good question for you guys is, uh, one of the answers that we came up with is the, the idea that uh, uh, we need to have a reflective space. 
so 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 to, to set the space for for this reflection for this kind of ex- expressing uh, the particularly human aspects uh, for example our, our capacity to deal with complexity and big pictures and see second uh, order effects and what we we choose to do so the question would be for you how do you see the kind of uh, creation of, of uh, reflective spaces in platforms uh, in the governance of platforms and maybe what could be the role of also the government in facilitating that kind of, uh, uh, or in general, you know, uh, what could be the role of also of the users on, on creating on, on demanding these reflective spaces uh, as we create these large scale organizing networks? So I'm going to uh, to dovetail. I mean, I think the conversation is going in a just fascinating direction, um, but I want to pull it back. Um, to build a little bit on what Marshall said and you, you Simone as well about this North star of creating human value. Because I think if you go back to design principles of platforms, and we talk about this a fair bit in much of our writing, um, especially, um, especially the books and, and sort of some of the, the HBR and more general purpose writings, it, it, a lot of times you'll get organizations that, aim toward complexity first, but there's a lot of simplicity and a lot of um, that, that's useful if you can focus on those transactions, those interactions that create value and that helps you strip away a lot of the noise. Um, but of course, over time, the complexity always creeps in, and I think that's going to be where focus on, and as Marshall said, there are areas where the, the kind of parasites will come in to, to siphon value off. And then it's that reflection zone that you talk about, which is kind of how can you examine those systems and then think carefully about where the value is still being created and how do you protect that? So uh, I, I love what's Jeff said, and, and Simone, you, you've, you've asked an incredibly hard problem. Uh, how would you favor human development thesis over machine development thesis uh, here. It's too easy to just let the technology go and, and evolve without necessarily bringing humans along. And that would, the idea of creating some self-reflective spaces to improve the awareness. The one thing I, I worry about in that case, and again, maybe we can t- discuss better ways to design it. And I don't, uh, you've just asked a question to which I hadn't considered it. And I, and I don't uh, grant upfront, I don't have a full answer. Um, one thing I would worry about, having studied some fake news, is the extent to which third parties might try to influence the information available to those trying to become self-aware. If we look at what's currently being propagated on some platforms these days, we look at the not just misinformation, but active disinformation, trying to influence people's choices. Um, I genuinely worry that simply providing mechanisms that provide information creates noise pollution and dis and opportunities for disinformation. So we need governance models that also help to screen the disinformation. And that brings us back to, well, who gets to decide what's disinformation? Uh, what are the penalties for that? Which is, a, again, a recursively incredibly hard problem. So I, as much as I love the question, uh, how are we going to create these awareness and self-reflective spaces we then have to ask, what information are people going to use to become self-aware and who's inserting the information into those channels? Um, and I want to ensure that parties, that self-interested parties aren't corrupting those channels as we're seeing today with fake news. Um, I'm hoping we'll have better answers to that for you soon. That That is a really deep and hard question uh, that, that I think a lot of societies are going to depend on in terms of just cleaning up their own information channels. Social networks have been great in, you know, in things like the Arab Spring, but they've been horrible in terms of the disinformation. We see it in uh, you know, elections in the United States. We see it in disinformation about COVID-19. Uh, and I, we need to make sure the information channels are clean uh, and not full of disinformation and um, cluttered with self-interest of parties that don't have the interest of the person at the center uh, at their heart. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's a great point, I think, to, to wrap uh, this up. Uh, in general, I think if I can offer a note, 
to to as a final reflection to this amazing conversation that we had that really uh, you know was flying away in such a such a, in such a fast way uh, you know it looks like uh, to some extent uh, we can try to deal with uh, regulating innovations regulating technology and platforms because when we're talking about platforms to some extent we are talking about the role of technology in our in our uh, society and uh, but to some extent, I think we acknowledge in this conversation that uh, it's very hard to take all this in a centralized way. So to say, you know, these are the rules, you know, innovation, and 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 you need to play according to those rules because this is going to protect everyone. And it doesn't look like this is the good direction to go with regulations. Much more about, you know, embracing the complexity that we are living, which is requiring decentralized localized, contextualized ways to deal with uh, fairness, access, opportunities, development, and so on. So I think uh, our challenge as scholars of this world and, and also, uh, I would say, advisors to people in regulation like you guys are doing, it's really to push you know, the, the boundaries and, and to say, okay, let's address the problem, but from a complexity perspective and not from an industrial perspective, trying to enforce something on, on, on a system that is really uh, not going to, uh, you know, hardly regulated with a one-size-fits-all um, approach. I, I don't know if you want to add some final bits to this, uh, to this uh, reflection. Well, I think, you know, I think you're dead on, and, and you know, we've learned an awful lot from those who have gone before us on the you know, Ostrom won a Nobel Prize on this, and Jean yeah. won a Nobel Prize partly for um, analyzing the degrees to which regulation has to be contextual, has to be um, you know, fitted to technology regimes, um, which is really a way of saying exactly what you're saying. But you know, a complexity perspective is really critical, especially as these systems do tend to grow more complex over time. So, you know, very well said. So, uh, you also said something else that's interesting is about the technology evolution and how this moves forward. And then again, if we're going to move in the direction of value creation, uh, I actually going to argue that most of this comes down to really good governance models. You know, it's technology itself is more or less neutral and it's how we use it that makes a big difference. So you can use planes for travel or for warfare. You can use gene editing stuff, um, technology for creating cures or creating viruses, or you could use you know, nuclear for creating power or for creating bombs. Um, so we have choices in how all of these things evolve and how they matter. It comes down to governance. Good governance depends on the information that's put into the decisions, who has the power to make those decisions, and also how do you deal with the externalities? Um, how, do, you know, how do the decisions of one affect the decisions or affect the welfare of third parties? So I'm, I'm going to argue that, we, that you know, our tax, task next is to create human welfare through good governance, and it's partly through good platform governance, and it's partly good through standard social government, our, our normal government, informed by better information, uh, uncluttered by disinformation, and that accounts for the externalities that uh, affect uh, individual societies and even across societies. So I think that is the task before us. Yeah, that, I think that's a great way of framing it, Marshall. I think at the heart of, of these systems is whether they have appropriate governance models and do they have the structures as Simone was talking about earlier to, to adapt those models or do they end up getting kind of carved in stone? And I think that the systems that can adapt more quickly to changing circumstances are going to be the ones that kind of maintain their North Star focus on creating human value. So good, great summary. Thank you, guys. That was amazing. Uh, before we say hello to everyone, uh, do you guys want to add uh, something about uh, what you're up to, your next steps, uh, the summit, any, any, any interesting thing that you want to mention about the next few months where, where people can catch up with your latest uh, piece of work? So, uh, well, certainly let's, we'd love to invite everyone to the MIT Platform Summit. I think, Jeff, you confirm us it's July 8th, I think. Uh, everyone's certainly invited to join. We have a terrific group of uh, uh, international speakers, men and women with some interesting platform ideas. Um, 
uh, that's taking place. Uh, in terms of future research, uh, there are a couple of projects. One is on the social efficiency of fairness and how that's going to work. Uh, others are going to be involved with um, city as platform. Can we actually make cities healthier? Can we run, can governments learn from platforms and platforms learn from governments? I think there are interesting ways to explore uh, some of that research. Um, they have some research forthcoming on uh, solutions to the fake news problem that I'm hoping to be ready in the next couple of months. Uh, and I think that's a really tough one uh, given some of the upcoming election cycles. Um, and uh, to summarize, I, I would just say, I, I love the questions you're asking and hope uh, we can be partners in finding better answers. It, it's, it's a wonderful space to be exploring. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate your contribution. Thank you. Thank you. And, and to our listeners, really, uh, um, thanks for your time. Yeah, I was just going to add a little bit. So, uh, you know, absolutely, uh, please come to the MIT Platform Strategy Summit. That's on July 8th, Marshall said. And as you can tell, we're already starting to work in this issue of kind of governance and uh, regulation of digital platforms. Um, I think also Marshall detailed a, a lot of interesting work we'll be focusing on incumbents and, and this kind of business to business um, sort of growth of marketplaces. And I think we didn't even get into this, but of course the pandemic of COVID-19 has, has driven a lot of in that space, um, in the space of weeks, it would have taken years, um, but that'll have to be uh, for another time. Definitely, definitely. That really, really an accelerator. We are really living through this acceleration. Thanks again. So, uh, again, listeners, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thank you for listening to Boundaryless Conversation Podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to our podcast by looking up for Boundaryless Conversation Podcast on all major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for more general research updates, where you can also find opportunities for learning and free tools for you and your team to design platform strategies in these turbulent times. This podcast has been brought to you by our research sponsor, Intesa San Paolo, We want to also thank Walter Mobilio at Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.